Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. And now. Join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all new episode of Comedy Gold Mines, where we do what? Come on, say it with me. That's right. I hear you. I hear you in your cars. I hear you in your homes. And you all said at the same time, you said, where we get inside the amazing minds of the funny. Man, and that funny, the funny mind is so complex, so complex, it's so deep, it's it's interesting, which is why I love doing this show, because I get to talk to people in a way that I normally would not. And my guest today, I've known for a long time, but we've never had a real, like, conversation. We've never really got down and got deep and asked the questions and given the answers that that we felt that we both, like, wanted to know. There's other shit I want to know. I'm not going to waste any more time. Ladies and gentlemen, guess what? I got Whitney Cummins on the goddamn show today. Oh, my God. What an amazing mind. I can't wait to get into it. Hey, Whitney. How are you? How are you? I am good. Thank you. I love you. I'm a fan of this podcast. I'm just going to say that. I've learned a lot from this podcast. You've learned a lot. <laughs> Which... I have. I've gotten a lot of healing. If you're a comedian, I think a lot of times you think, am I the only person that thinks that crazy way? And I listen to this podcast and I'm like, okay. Whew, like. I will tell you, I think the the best the best thing about this is hearing people open up, but really being able to relate and identify with what's being said. Right. It's like, I have not been blown away one time. I think, I think the one that really had me like, wow, was, uh, was Letterman talking to Letterman and, and, and hearing, you know, David go into like how dark his past was and you know those days of doing the show i think that's the one where i was like damn you know during that time i'm quite sure he was probably ignorant to a lot of his actions because he was in it you're in the fog but then coming out of it being able to look back and kind of move the fog away and talk about it i'm quite sure it's healing and refreshing but you know it's informative and i also think that comedians you know um and also thank you you create a space where comedians aren't on the defense like we don't feel like we have to make jokes or like we're corny mm-hmm. if we talk about our work ethic or we're nerds if we talk about how much work we put into it like you really create a space where comedians can get granular with another comedian without feeling embarrassed because a lot of times when you run comedians mm-hmm. you're like, oh i just came up with that on the spot like no you didn't well you always got to be on yes. yes you know that's the 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 good and the bad is that when talking to a comic the comic has to be on there's an expectation right Where's the funny? And it's not that it's not that that isn't a good thing. It's good when you can be on. It's good when you can have that ability to deliver a laugh and and do it at the drop of a dime. That's always good. But it's also good to show that you're a person. And that's that's what I think this does. Um, I want to talk to you because I have I have so many good memories of you. Um, for those who do not know, I actually did a movie with Whitney. <laughs> Whitney and I worked together. In, this um, before I knew you well, and remember the one day I was there with you guys, I had a gig in Vegas that night and I had to leave early. I'm like, it was a nightmare. So I, I was so <laughs> nervous that whole day, but you of all people know what it's like to have a gig scheduled for eight months and then Absolutely. an opportunity to work with Kevin Hart and Josh Gad and one of my old friends, Jeremy Garlick comes up. I'm like, I can't really make this work, but I have to make it work. And then I had to leave early. So I, I, I wish I, we got to hang out more and I got to. Well, she's talking about the film, The Wedding Ringer. But what what I realized about you that day um, and being around you, like you're real. 
like what you're you're funny is who you are like you know how like sometimes there's a there's a two-way character like you got the funny and then you got the person right and it's like act and then the person yeah you're a natural goddamn ball of laughter like our our time on that set it was all bits it was all just doing bits it was was all all bits bits, and it takes a good like the comic that understands the bit that's not a bit but it's a bit that's my favorite comic like that's the comic that you can just be around all day because you entered a bit and then you you find yourself engulfed in the bit oh where there was no we never like had a uh there was never any moment of like here we're doing bits it was just like when you vibe with someone right away when a comedian's the real deal and you guys get to just go straight to silly goose shit is the best feeling in the world because i always say like the 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 guy that i'm dating now any new guy i date i say i always i have to open with this on the first date i will always be closer to a comedian i've never met than i'll ever be to you wow and i know that sounds messed up but i'll I, it doesn't we have a weird connection that as soon as i see a comedian that i know of in the airport we're just going to be talking in a way that you're not even going to understand it's going to look like we're in love but we're not <laughs> it's going to look like flirting <laughs> But it's just two people that finally share the same reality and have the same set of maladaptive tools and they get to play in the sandbox together. I felt like it's the first time we got to like, you know, mess around like puppies that got to play for the first time. You know, it's the best feeling in the world. It was an amazing feeling, but more importantly, it was something that gave me a, um, it just gave me a strong grasp as to who you were, right? Uh, How many years? How many years in comedy now? I think I would, uh, about 17 years. 17 years in comedy. Holy shit. It goes by fast, doesn't it? Goes by fast, and you know, I feel, I feel in a weird way lucky that I came up in LA mm-hmm. at the time that I did because there were rooms. It wasn't clubs yet; it was rooms in mm-hmm. LA. We were doing bowling alleys, we were doing sushi restaurants, we were doing parking lots, which that skill came in handy later when the pandemic came and we were back to playing parking lots and cars and stuff. Um, but it, I, I do feel grateful coming up in LA, even though people think of New York as the best place to come up. And I, had, I, I don't disagree with that. Has the best clubs in the world. I kind of argue that's the best place to stay good. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning in LA, you have to fight so hard for stage time. I mean, to. Th- Three minutes, we would go to, uh, you know, Pasadena Ice House, then drive to Hermosa Comedy and Magic, three minutes there. Then we would drive to do three minutes at a bowling alley. We were doing comedy in the in restaurants where people were eating. Remember mm-hmm. that Miyagi's room on Sunset? Mm-hmm. You know, when you, I love that you're saying what you're saying because I didn't get to see that era in L.A. I knew about it, but I was a part of the New York hustle. So I was a part of the world of rooms and comedy clubs there. Coming to L.A., um, it was more about me getting into the comedy scene, but it wasn't as hard because I was coming in with a little already established. Yeah, like I was I, I I was there was a name attached to me, so it was a call. Okay, and then it was okay, yeah, we would love it. So I didn't have to I didn't have to fight the same way that you're talking about, but I've only heard I've only heard about three comics that I know talk about the scene in in the manner in which you are about like that that world of rooms that really once upon a time existed that that really developed some of the comedians that flourished after that time of getting deals getting opportunities like the the that's a that's an era that's an era that i've talked about on the show of course before that has died down a little bit but the comics like yourself you're one of them that has come from that grit, that grind, but that was able to find success after. And you said success, not just to become relevant, but go on to have successful comedy careers, headlining, ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. Not only that, but if you were in LA and a young comic, you weren't gonna get into the comedy store, the Laugh Factory, the improv, you had to start your own show. So it Mm -hmm. also helped you build this business side of your brain where you're like, if I Mm -hmm. want this opportunity, I have to create it. So by the time I was pitching television shows or trying to make something for myself, it didn't occur to me that I didn't have to do it myself. I wasn't like, why are these agents doing this for me? Why are they? I was like, oh, if I want a show, I have to make it. If I want to do a movie, I have to write it and produce it. You know, so in in LA, if you wanted to make it as a comic, you had to write your own, uh, or you had to book your own show, you had to book the comics, you had to put the flyers on MySpace. Like you had to be a business person. And so am I allowed to ask you a question? How did you get this brilliant 
business brain. Because uh, most comics don't have that. Being a sponge, man. I got lucky. When I think Kevin Hart, I don't think luck. <laughs> I think. Well, what I mean, what I mean in luck, like what you just said, you simplified a world that so many people complicate, right? Like I, I grasp the simplicity of what I could do. And you just said, yo, like as a comic, I was depending on like, yo, what agents, get me this, get me that. And then it dawned on you one day, you was like, oh, wait, I can write it, I can create it. Well, you can, and you know, you can do that as much as you want. I had figured out that it's easy to do it and get told no and keep going until you get told yes. And when you finally hear yes, what was it about what you did that was different from what you did that got you to nose? And wow. it was about me just really building on those relationships. Like, you know, meeting, meeting writers, meeting showrunners, meeting producers, sometimes we kind of just let those those moments fall sure. between the cracks. But those are big opportunities. Those are big moments to kind of, I want to talk. Do you got a second? Can I talk to you? Do you mind if we sat down? Can we, can yes. we get coffee? Hey, do you mind? Like, I know you wrote blah, blah, blah. Can you just tell me what was your process? How did you do it? Like so many people are dying to give information because so far few and in between people ask and it's free. It's, it's interesting because to me, I always feel like my advice is boring and no one wants to hear it because I always just go work harder than anyone. And if you're working mm -hmm. harder than anyone, you're already going to be ahead of them in some way, shape or form. Like that, just work harder than everyone. And for me, I feel very lucky that this is where my luck came in. I never was into drinking, smoking weed or any of that stuff. I, ha I grew up around a lot mm -hmm. of alcoholism. I grew up in a very mercurial um, sort of uh, uh, alcoholic home. Uh, which I think but is how big how big is the family family is well it's I mean there's a lot of siblings I've never met but let's just not bring them up because then I'm going to get a bunch of Venmo requests that I can't handle okay, okay. so I I can relate I, I can relate say, I we, bet you we can. share some synergy yes we share some synergy okay I understand a lot of, <laughs> lot of step brothers step sisters some you've met I can't, some you haven't I got it I can't it. buy any more strangers new sets of teeth I'm just I'm I got it I got you it you got to pay the dentist directly I'm not sending you no cash anymore where does this originate? Where are you from? Uh, Washington, D.C., sir. Washington, D.C. Washington, and Virginia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. and Virginia. You're, you're in the middle on the cusp. Not even on the... Here's what's wild about this, and I, I'm very grateful for this now, even though... That's the great thing about being a comedian. Everything that ever hurt you as you get older, you're like, thank God that happened, because now I can mm -hmm. use it or it helped for all your traumas. You can sublimate into money. And mm -hmm. I grew up in, born in D.C., but I spent half of my time in a rural place called Roanoke, Virginia, in West Virginia. I know where Roanoke is. You know Roanoke? I'll leave yes. everywhere. Of course you do. Yes. Roanoke is a great place. It's, it's a great market. Yes, yeah, a great People market. Skip it. Smart. Yes, people skip it. Roanoke is a great market. Mm -hmm. Super, super smart and uh, super smart people. Really honest. Uh, I feel very grateful because I spent half my time in this hardcore South and a rural area and half my time in a very cosmopolitan city. So I'm able to mm -hmm. empathize with both sides and I'm able to see why both sides believe what they believe. And then I can kind of be in the middle you know, able to see both perspectives. My dad always said okay. the sign of intelligence is to be able to defend a point of view that you don't agree Ooh. with. And I think that was a big part of laying the groundwork for being a comedian, you know, because sometimes we have to take the hot take in the thing that everyone disagrees with and then find a way to defend it for comedy. Now, now you said my dad always said um, closer to your dad than your mom or, or your mom than your dad. Not super close to either. Um, okay. You know, my I, I was talking about this, uh, you know, the other day of the sort of our parents, the kind of tools that they had. And I'm in a big forgiveness of we forgive others, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because we deserve peace. And our parents did the best they could with the tools they had. So my dad and I, we had a very awkward relationship, you know, men of that gen. His dad was in a war, didn't give him a lot of love. I didn't get a lot of like ostensible love. And uh, but now I look back and I realize he was I played sports. We could only connect through sports, you know, um, and a lot of the advice I got from him was through sports and I now look back and I'm like, I couldn't have had a better preparation for what I now do for a living. Even though at the time I was like, we don't spend enough time together. We didn't have tea parties. And I'm like, oh, the universe was giving me the father that I needed for the vocation that I uh, was my dream. 
So, you know, that's it's interesting that you say that, right? Two things that I'm realizing. I love to listen. Um, I think when you listen, it just gives you the better opportunity to not just respond, but, you know, have have a more meaningful engagement when you're really listening. Um, as I'm listening to you, you're very well read. Your vocabulary is amazing. Um, and I can tell you, you, there's some reading in there because you're, you're, you're giving me like things like one thing that was said to me or I firmly believe like and you have these these like antidotes that you're using that are really strong. I like it. Um, as you're talking about, it, you just said something that made me think just about me as a father. You said, you know, now that you're older, you look back at that. And it's like, well, did you spend enough time or did you not? Right. But you said he was hands on with this thing as as now, you know, you now being a comedian, you now looking back. Do you feel like if the parenting was different, that you would be the person that you are now, like if there was like added bonuses of time or QT or whatever. Um, and if, if you wouldn't be the person that you are now, isn't it in a weird way? Like that the parenting was kind of on point for what it was supposed to be. I think we are, we are so trained as a society to hate our parents and to blame our parents for everything that happened. I'm like, bitch, you're 50. Are you still talking about your mom? Like, it's just, it is wild to me that, you know, there is in our culture, it was funny because I was having a conversation with someone about this, like, you know, this is an incendiary thing to talk about. I don't, I feel very comfortable criticizing the Chinese government, not Chinese people, Chinese government. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree <laughs> the Chinese government has a couple flaws, but I was talking with to somebody about, you know, they they have a dog meat festival over there and they eat dogs. And like, it's such an interesting, like, you know, it's a very different philosophical um, uh, thing to not value that. And over here, they're man's best friend. And and I was talking to someone who uh, is of, age, of Chinese descent. And she was like, well, in China, they look at the way that we treat our old people and they're horrified. Mm. We put our old people mm. in storage units. Mm when we can't deal with them anymore. We just throw them in a home and let them rot. Mm. And you're like, whoa, that's what comedy's all about. Going, whoa, I never looked at it like that before. Now how do I make it funny? You got a completely different POV from just uh, a different eye and a different lens. Somebody gave you a different look through a different lens and it changed your, uh, 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 a perception in a Snap of a finger. In a snap of a finger. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the best observations, the most interesting observations I think comedy does. is like, whoa, you just opened a door to this reality that I hadn't even considered before. And I and and um, that really stuck with me because I was like, oh, God, we just in general, I, I just have been thinking about this a lot, how much we disrespect our elders in this country. We go, you're stupid. You're not, uh, you're backward. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You still call assistant secretaries it's like okay well you just changed the word like a year ago like what the fuck like <laughs> and you didn't tell me what, how the fuck am i supposed to know you you put it on snapchat your messages disappear how the fuck are we gonna know about any of this shit if you don't tell us about it you know <laughs> we don't talk about ageism enough yeah. we don't talk yeah. about ageism you know obviously it's not the most important ism right now with what's going on mm -hmm. in, in the street but we don't this this when we get so mad at old people you know when they're like well i think he's a transvestite it's non-binary now it's like where would i yeah. fucking read that like yeah you know so we're very impatient with with older people and i guess i've just been trying to tell on myself and call myself out about all the times that i spent blaming my parents for the bad decisions i made i can't be in a relationship mm. because of my daddy issues it's just easy it's just like an easy mm -hmm. thing and um and so I look back and know, you know, I am so grateful. I had a single mother that I thought was neglecting me. I thought it was too busy for me. And now I look, people ask me about my work ethic and they're just like, why do you work so hard? I'm like, I don't, it, I don't even think I work hard. I work, you know, 10 in the morning, eight at night. Then I'll go to stand up at night. And then I feel like I'm slipping sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I grew up watching a mom work. A, work. She worked at Bloomingdale. She worked at a department store all day, every day. She came home, made us dinner, cleaned the house, and then worked until I fell asleep. So I, I thought she was neglecting me and a bad mom at the time. I felt ignored. And then I realized she was just programming me to work harder than anybody. And it's really not about what your parents tell you. It's about what they do.
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane (coughs) and come home under the plane, (coughs) you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Did you come to that realization or was that a was was there a significant amount of help to get you there? Is this is this therapy? Is this, you know, is this trauma? Like what what got you to the point where you could look at life, look at your past, the way that you're looking at it now and say, you know what, I want to take some responsibility for my actions. And instead of pointing at the bad, let me try to find the good. What got you to the space where you could find the good? I'm going to try to make this like succinct because uh, it's it's a long, uh, it's a lot. Um, uh, it will probably surprise no one that it took a lot of different healers to get me here. Um, but I think to me, well, the first thing is I went into a 12-step program. It's called Al-Anon, ACA Al-Anon. And it's basically adult child of an alcoholic. If you're in love with an alcoholic, and by alcoholic, we define that as in order for alcoholism to be present, alcohol doesn't have to be present. Any kind of compulsive behavior. If you grew up in a home where there was, you know, um, you know, compulsive drug use or just compulsive, like, rage or some kind of dysfunction, essentially, you know, as the youngest, I developed this um, overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Uh, I learned mm-hmm. to walk on eggshells around narcissists and people's feelings. I kind of just had all these maladaptive behaviors and I found myself in relationships consistently dating men that needed to be rescued or fixed. I defined myself through my productivity. I mean, I was dating, dating like drug addicts that couldn't read. I was like learning Spanish to fight with drug addicts downtown. Were you attracted to the bad guy? Like what, it, it was what, what is it? Is that- because I was trained to feel good about myself if I was cleaning up a mess. Okay. And that's kind of what I was doing in my relationship. And I realized like all the common denominator and all the things not going well in my life mm-hmm. is me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's me. And whatever I'm doing is just, it's not working, you know? And to me, I like finally took my ego out of it. And I, you know, had family members going to rehab. I had, I was just like, I was using all the force in the world, all my will to try to make myself successful, to try to get everything I want. And it's like something, uh, I'm the problem. There's something wrong here. I went into a 12-step program, Al-Anon. It's free. It's free medicine. It's free therapy. It's a bunch of people going. How'd you find out about it? I found out about it after um, going, uh, putting a family member in rehab. And I would okay. going every day, bringing the person food, trying to fix them, trying to get them sober. And they were like, actually, you need to go fix yourself. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm perfect. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just fixing everyone. I'm like an angel. And they're like, no, you're being controlling. You're a perfectionist. Um, and you're basically judging other people and not giving them the dignity of their own experience. You're, you're meddling in other people's life under the guise well, of helping I, them. That's strong. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's like a, it's like a, I understand. Let me start off by saying Call it codependence. You're codependent with this person. And when we get involved in other people's problems, we don't give them the ability to solve problems on their own. I can say I agree and I understand. But, you know, when you're when you're dealing with people that are looking for help or that need help and that don't want to get help, you take the initiative for someone you love to get the help. Well, there is a sense of control that does come into that because 
they're not doing it and you love them so much that you don't want to see them destroy their lives and you do take a sense of control and know you're going to do it know you're going to go and this is what you have to do and you know maybe that maybe that line does get blurred um after doing it so much to where there is um you know the the i'm tired of doing this for everybody i'm sick y'all and i'm the one that's gotta and i gotta like maybe that does come into play and i can see where someone on the outside would say maybe it's time for you to kind of do something for yourself but i would simply say just i would dumb it down you know a high level of negative energy is going to is going to embed pieces of negative in you whether you like it or not you can you can be as positive as you want but if i'm around people that got an attitude every fucking day well one of those days i'm gonna get an attitude that tension is that tension is contagious so separating yourself isn't a bad thing and it sounds to me that that's what you're talking about like you made a decision to say what do i need to fix with me and you separated yourself from that cloud of negativity that's what I'm here. I had a yes, and I realized that I was putting all my energy into other people and not myself. That's a no. I was taught that was selfish. Yeah, right? Yeah, Growing up, there's a there's a tricky thing when you grow up and you learn like, you know, yes, say, say yes, ma'am, yes, sir, help other people. But there's a point where it was chronic to the point of where I wasn't putting energy into my own endeavors and into my own dreams because I was aligning with people that were always a mess and full of chaos and I'm helping people move out of their boyfriends. But I would just align myself with people that were a mess. And that's when I learned the people you're friends with and the people you date are a business decision. Mm, I like that one. And if the people in your life are depleting you and can't take care of themselves and you're martyring yourself all over them as a way to not focus on yourself. And I, you know, I was wasting a lot of time the same way. I saw a lot of my peers wasting a lot of time doing drugs and getting drunk and doing that. I was wasting times and just toxic, my time in toxic, chaotic relationships. And it helped me develop this system that, that works for me today. It's going to sound dorky, but I, 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 I say, um, you know, I, I align my schedule with how many energy dollars I have. I say, okay, every day, let's say I have a hundred energy dollars to spend, right? So I'm also a dork. I set my clothes out on Sunday for the week so that I don't get stuck in decision fatigue. Do you ever, I get stuck in decision fatigue. Like if I have to- It's called a billionaire mindset. It's just so that I can wake up. I already know what I'm wearing. I also wear the same thing kind of all the time. Billionaire mindset. Like three, yeah, you get like three of the same shirt, mm -hmm. three of the same pants and, so that I'm not at the at the buzzer wasting all my energy dollars on decisions that no one fucking gives a shit about that aren't mm -hmm. gonna matter and I'm gonna get bogged down. So I have to go, okay, I have a hundred energy dollars a day. I'm gonna do the podcast with Kevin, that's gonna take, you know, twenty energy dollars. And then I'm gonna talk to this person, that's gonna take twenty, and then I'm gonna go to the comedy store. I have to go to the comedy store tonight at nine thirty. I'm gonna need like thirty energy dollars for that. So if a friend of mine FaceTimes me at five o'clock to talk about their breakup, I can't answer. Because I've already yeah. spent my energy dollars for the day. And yeah. if I answer and let this person deplete me for an hour, then I have to borrow from tomorrow. And then mm. I have less money. You know, so I think of my energy as currency and as money instead of this uh, sort of endless, bottomless pit of energy. We move through the day sometimes as if we have if, you know infinite amount of energy. And then by 2 o'clock, you've allowed a bunch of vampires to steal your energy and then you realize, oh, I'm not in control of my own life. I'm allowing the chaotic people around me to suck my energy, and I have to learn to play well, defense. People get called selfish when they make the decision to put themselves first, right? That's that's when uh, selfish, the the selfish dialogue begins. And you know, there was a point in my life where I went through a nice little, a nice little selfish rant from a bunch of people, but it was because I got tired of dealing with everybody else's world and you know, really was there a question about mine and what I was going through or what I needed or how I was doing. You find yourself always, always putting out but never receiving. So I made a decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done with that from this side. I'm not entertaining or dealing with that. And what you find when you start caring about yourself, loving yourself more, prioritizing yourself. Well, you get the best out of you. And ultimately, you can't want the world, you can't want the highest levels of success without giving yourself an opportunity to be the best. And this is just like I told you, I break everything down to the base layer. I dumb it all down. 
That's what I do. You really do in a way that is so like clear and undeniable. It's like a, it's like a shot. I, I dumb it down. It's like, it's, it's for me, it's like, you know, wow, man, I, I want to do so much. I want to, I want to be good at my craft. I want to be a successful businessman. I want to do these things, but if I'm going to do it, how can I go into it half of myself? How can I go into it? with a low percentage of brain how can i go into it with the with the i guess you could say inability to not be able to receive because i got so much how can i be burned down before i'm in the position to to grow more so i love what you're saying and i love i love that you're talking about you i love that you're talking about your energy because for what you do newsflash to all comics we're providing a service that acts as a healing factor or a happy factor or a bonus for people in their day or in their week or in their month. Our sense of talent or our tier of talent, we provide, we provide that thing called a smile. That one thing that everybody in the world loves to do, we're providing it. So if you're not doing it while you're providing it or outside the world in which you provide it, Ultimately, at some point, you're going to look at yourself and you're going to go, am I really fucking happy? And people need it now more than ever. And Kevin, I have this question for you um, because I'm I'm still dealing with it. You know, I just I just shot a special and there's no politics. There's no mm -hmm. no Ted secret Ted talk. I'm not lecturing anyone how mm -hmm. to vote. I'm not uh, mm -hmm. trying to make anyone feel guilty for their choices. There's this new mm -hmm. thing where a lot of comedians, mm -hmm. I don't know if they're running for office, or I don't know what is happening, but <laughs> when did comedians stop making jokes in front of an audience? <laughs> Am I a hack? Because my new special, I, I called it jokes. The special's called <laughs> jokes. I don't come out as gay at the end. I don't read my diary. I don't have an oriental carpet. I'm not standing on an oriental carpet. That okay? I'll, I'll put it this. I got a great My comparison. old fashioned. No, I got a good, I got a good, like, uh, I got a good breakdown for you. So you remember there was a time in comedy. I've used myself as an example. As a matter of fact, I had JB. JB Smooth was on um, the podcast. And in the beginning of my career, I was telling JB, like, I remember doing what you did like jb came out the music and when he came out to the music he had a bit about the music that he came out to before he got into his set and then all comics were using music to do a bit it was like this phase that we went through as comics right and music became a part of the set and then everybody got to a tv taping and they all had this song that they wanted to play and then on tv they said hey we can't afford these songs. Y'all can't you do these. You can't bits. come out to Thriller on Conan. Yeah, sorry. You have this is Michael Jackson. This is Beat It. This is this is our That's whole budget. Pretty cheap now though. This it's this is we can't do this. So the world was flipped upside down. It was flipped upside down because for year or all this time, we all became comfortable by doing something that we could never use. Right. So. Now, in today's time, it's 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 always what is going to get me, what 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 what's going to get me seen, what's going to go like how do I get people to come see me to come do to come to my shows or to do X Y and Z and you're seeing a lot of comics go down the shock factor, they're going down a shock factor road right like what you're you're in a day you're in a day and age where clickbait is real and and clickbait is now attached to comedy in a high way right like if i if i get a piece of material that that's clicked on because i said something well maybe they'll watch the whole thing maybe they'll watch my whole set and people will maybe so, i don't trust you that. know well you shouldn't you know when when we've been doing this long enough there's a that doesn't pass the smell test to me because it, it, it it's ne this is not an ephemeral thing, right? It's it, if something is not hard earned, I don't uh, I, I'm suspicious of it. Like a qu quick, quick uh, adulation, especially something over yeah. the Internet. I didn't hear you laugh. I didn't yeah. hear yeah. you yeah. laugh on the other side of the screen. And 
there's different kinds of laughter. We have to play on defense now against. There's clapter now. Comedians will go up mm-hmm. and go, so, you know, Florida, everyone in Florida's fucking crazy, right? And people go, woo! That wasn't a joke. There was no punchline. If you, like, you should hate yourself for whatever that joke Yeah, but you know what you, you're a... That's a rally. You're a vet. You're a vet, though. When you can't, like, like... As a vet, as a person that's been doing this for so long, um, that's earned their stripes, even though comedy has taken its bumps, bruises, and we've had our share of ups and downs, just in, hey, what, what's considered to be, like, comfortable, not comfortable? Like, what's too much, what's not? We've all, we've all been on the seesaw of going back and forth, but you're, you're, you're real vets and you're real people that understand their true approach to the craft, well, they don't deter from being themselves because you, you ultimately know who you are. And comedy isn't about proving who you are. It's about telling your story through a funny format. And in my story, in my POV, here's how I look at life. You're never going to deter from that as a vet in comedy. You're you're still going to do it. You just now know how to do it with the adjustments of making sure that you're being present, making sure that you're being respectful. But you don't go out, like you said, you're not running, you're not running for mayor or president or there's not a campaign underneath the thing that you're doing. You haven't lost sight of your reason. If I do an hour of comedy and walk off stage and you think I'm a good person. Yeah, it's bad. We have a problem. Yeah, it's bad. Like, I'm not here to make you think I'm a morally upstanding person. I'm here to make you laugh. (laughs) And this thing where comedians want to have it both ways now, I want to be funny and a saint. It's like, no, no, you got to pick one. Because this whole thing where it's like, well, comedians need to be morality, like, you know, uh, experts on morality. It's like, no, I'm an we're experts on what whiskey goes best with NyQuil at two in the morning in Cincinnati. We're not experts on this shit. Yeah. Why did you say? Okay. Uh, 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 I just watched Norm Macdonald's uh, his, uh, his special that got released. I love the way they released it. I love the fact that he did it. Um, you know, I think uh, greatness will forever be celebrated. But when gems are left behind that can make you smile after that angel flies, I mean, that to uh. me was dope as hell. You know, the headphones on, like just the whole, the whole, the, the, the grimy, the gritty way about it and just him having a good time. Dude, when he goes, he's, dude, he fucking, uh, he kill, I feel like he knew he was going to die. With some of those jokes, he knew he was going to die. For my listeners, she's uh, talking about Norm McDonald's special that was released on Netflix. And it was released after uh, Norm McDonald passed away, RIP to the legend. Um, but he did it like on his like little computer, like in his home. Do you remember what he said? He goes, you know, I don't know what this new thing is where everyone's looking to comedians to weigh in on political events. When Vietnam was happening, were people sitting around going, I wonder what Red Skeleton thinks? <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, we're but- ridiculous. We're clowns. And I'm, I, I want to fight for the right to stay a clown. Yeah. And when people say to me, they're like, well, why aren't you using your platform for good? I'm like, okay, well, this is, this, people paid money to come see comedy. They didn't yeah. come here for me to uh, guilt them about, you know, that's a separate thing. And I think comedians, you know, we have a lot of influence now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot because, you know, politicians obviously aren't trustworthy. Now nobody trusts the news. So everyone's like looking to comedians now for like, you guys are the adults in the room. And you're like, okay, well, give us a second to just adjust to this. Yeah, uh, this is different. This this yeah. temperature, this water is a little different. All right. I'm used to jumping in a different type of pool. I had a conversation with me um, and it was a uh, it was around like the, the conversation of, uh, you know, it was one of those. Kev, you got to say something. You got to do something. And it was like, you know, people ultimately they can put pressure on you without realizing what it is that you do. Like you it's easy to lose sight of reality. Right. And the reality is. I've worked my whole life to become a good comedian. You can't tell me after I become a good comedian that now it's time for me to speak on issues that compromise the thing that I busted my ass for. So that line that 
sometimes get blurred. Well, you can't go back. Nope. So if you want me to go over here and things don't work out when I go this way, well, I can't go back because when I go back, I piss some people off by getting away from the thing that I worked my whole life for. And those people may go, fuck you, man. But we, it's like hosting The Price is Right as a comedian. Oh, my God. You can't go back. You can't go back. You can't go back. You can't go back. You can't go. You do The Price is Right. You can, you're not going back. You got that tiny mo microphone. Yeah, once forever. they put the tiny mic in, you don't you, go back to the big boy microphone. <laughs> you don't go back to dick jokes after the price is right. You can't. It's just not gonna. It's not gonna seem right. It's and not gonna... it also, you know, I think it's up to us in a way because I think the last couple of years I've been like, whoa, 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 do do people want something different from comedians now? And then I'm like, no, no, no. It's just there is a generation of young people who are trying to set a precedent that they themselves are not going to be able to even be held to. They haven't lived long enough to know, oh, these ridiculously high standards we're putting on people are going to fuck us in 10 years. I mean, everything that this cancel culture uh, group is mad about, they're going to be the ignorant ones in 10 years, you know? So we, it's on us to just ignore them and keep doing what we're doing and not stop at every little scuffle. Your rooms don't change though, Whitney. Like, if you notice the comedy clubs are still comedy clubs, right? The venues are still venues. Those people come to laugh. So you just can't, don't allow the conversation on the internet to ever to ever merge into what the reality of our rooms are. Like, those rooms are still the rooms. And there was a moment where, of course, there was confusion. And I'll say rightfully so, right? There, 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 there should have been a checking on just temperature, respect, um, and making sure, like, that we're conscious and present as to who we all are. Let's all take the a audience, second. The audience will hold us accountable, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I go, we already have people holding us accountable. Every room we go to. I mean, I saw... I saw a comedian recently doing a joke at the comedy store, a big bit about uh, fat chicks, mm -hmm. fat chicks, fat chicks. And it wasn't doing well. And he stopped doing it. You know, there is a democracy within these rooms, you know. Uh, well, you know. Oh, that's not good, guys. I don't need someone from another state that wasn't there to weigh in. I, I got my feedback. I kind of got it. I will course correct accordingly, you know? <laughs> they but told me. They yes. told me. I got I got yeah. it. I know how to do this job. I don't need your help. Like, you're in Orlando. What the fuck do you know about what happened last night <laughs> at the comedy store? Like, I, I got the memo. And, like, you know, but I will say this is maybe a, a silver lining take, but I do think this massive sort of overcorrection, you know, Tell me if I'm wrong, but three, four years ago, it was really hard to shock people. Like nothing was shocking. Nothing was off lip. Nothing was taboo. We had a president yes. with a P tape. We had stormy, we had hookers or sorry, what do we call them now? Well, equals. I mean, you can go, Se yes. Future you, you, CEOs. You, they're probably, yes, they're, uh, <laughs> um, I would say uh, they're, they're activists. Okay, but they're <laughs> activists. That's, a, that's a good word to call them now. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good word to call them now. It's, it's a lot. Everything is changing. Uh, in, intelligent equals um, that Stormy Daniels in the news. It's like, I remember three, four years ago, it was hard to shock people. People had gone a little numb. And this, I think what the cancer, cancer, that too, because cancel culture is fucking, I feel like giving me cancer, but it's put some eggshells on the ground again. You know, they don't mm -hmm. understand. They're just making us stronger. They're making us, things feel more incendiary, more tense, more fun. There's danger to comedy again. And I think that maybe, maybe we needed that. Yeah. What do you mean? It's not, it's not even a maybe. By the way, no easy road is worth the stop. Right. Like I like with without some hardship, without some some cobblestone to go down, you know, your story gets a little boring. So I think it's a good a good adjustment, um, you know, that that needed to be made, that had to be made. And like I said, the vets, the vets aren't complaining. The vets may have yeah. had something to say about, well, you know, I mean, look, it is getting a little crazy and out of hand, but, you know, we still are going to go and do our jobs and we still love what we do. Ultimately, um, it's not going to deter you once again from our craft. You just said something like in making, making us better, like maybe we needed it. Like at this moment now, 
hearing you talk like there's such a good energy to you and just to this conversation and you've done so much in your career right like you've you've went down like i told you the road of deals of tv successful tv now what is it what is it in it for you what's the what's the driving factor for you like as i hear you talking about self and self-development and you know holding myself accountable well right now what's the what's the What's the big wins for you in your career? What do you want? Um, thank you. Uh, I think right now, I you know, the most important thing to me is is touring as a stand up and mm-hmm. uh, moving those tickets because that that to me is that's real. Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't say, well, the network promoted it a lot. Oh, well, that critic is fr-. like there's there's you know stand up. I believe is a meritocracy in its purest form, and mm-hmm. I think that right now it's so easy to minimize some accomplishments or be like, oh, well, that got in the algorithm, or did I get that um, accolade for the wrong reasons? Did they give me that because I'm a girl? Did they give me that because they what you know like there's you know the the movie business the tv business it's you so much that you deserve you don't get and sometimes you don't deserve something and you do get it it's just sometimes it's hard to stay clear and you know after the the pandemic um i sort of had this new um uh clarity on how much i was taking stand up for granted you know in terms of mm. if i would book a movie i'd push the tour like it wouldn't be mm. no questions asked oh just got a movie we cancel those five, six theater shows, even though we sold out at a day, you know, it was like, I was putting all that first and I still do. It's still, you know, um, I know the fans will always understand, but after being taken away from it for a year and a half, and then I know you were doing those outdoor shows cause we would, you know, see you touring as well. I just seeing the, the, maybe this is silly, but during the pandemic, when we were going out and doing those shows in parking lots to people in cars and seeing how grateful people were and how important it was to them. I think because we're comedians, we don't get to enjoy comedy the way other people do. You know, we enjoy Mm -hmm. it in a different way, but it's not an escape for us. For me, comedy, watching other stand-ups, I can admire them, I can love them, I can run in and watch Sebastian, you know, but I'm never truly just a fan. I'm like, God damn it, that was a good premise. Why didn't I think of that? Like, there's always gonna Mm -hmm. be a little of that. And Mm -hmm. so seeing how healing it was to people during that time um, and how good it felt to be back on stage, I realized I had kind of taken it for granted a little bit. Cause with comedy, you're like, oh, I have all the time in the world. You're only gonna get better as you get older. That's another super cool thing about comedy. I'll put TV first, cause women can only be on TV and movies till they're what, 32 now, or I don't know. Do we raise the age by a couple <laughs> years? I don't know, but um, I don't know. I might play Nicole Kidman's mom in the morning show next week. I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just got an audition to play Jen Aniston's grandmother in uh, an Apple show. But um, <laughs> if you're, I have this theory, if you're a brunette, is if you, you're, you can't age. You can't. As a what, brunette? It, Nicole Kidman is 97 years old. And she's still playing the hot chick in every show. So still the hot I don't know chick. what else, I don't know what to do. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert. And I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure. Because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. If you're not fucking laughing at Whitney doing this podcast, ask yourself why. No, I've it's it's just such a it's such a great approach to humor. I love I'm trying it. to not be I'm it. trying to not make jokes. I'm sorry. I, I this is, you do a poignant uh cerebral podcast. I'm gonna stay professional here, but um <laughs> I really want to do it the right way. I mean, I'm I I don't know, you know, exactly your situation. You're always so busy. I've had to derail a couple tour touring is a very um, uh, in art, you know, you have to plan certain markets and then you go back to mm-hmm. that market and you build on it. Mm-hmm. And I've always been sort of like, I'm doing a TV show for eight months. So scrap the tour and we'll just, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to commit to building those fan bases in each city. And my new sort of favorite challenge in touring, instead of just like dropping in the city at six o'clock, you know, doing my hour, 
you know, knowing that I'm delivering, also going, you know what? I'm going to Cincinnati. I'm going to write 10 minutes on Cincinnati. I want to make them feel mm -hmm. special. I want them to mm -hmm. know that I'm doing this for them. You're finding new energy, by the way. You're finding new energy um, and, and purpose in your craft. And I like that you're talking about putting your fans first. I, I've always been a maniac. Like, I've movie and I'm weekend, I'm out. You know, I've, I'm, it doesn't matter. Like, I've never, we just filmed in, I just did a movie, we were in Ireland, Belfast, and we filmed in Italy, and then went back to Belfast. I was on stage in Belfast in Dublin every weekend. I found, like, a little dive bar that I just made my own. I would get, like, I, I can't not, if I'm going to work on it, I'm going to work on it. And then when it's time for a tour, those... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, or the Friday, Saturday, they're dedicated to that. And Whitney, what I'll tell you about what you're saying, the decision that you're making, there's no better relationship in entertainment than a relationship between a comedian and a comedian support system because they never forget you. It's the best relationship ever. Like, they, they don't forget you. And whether it's the smallest comedy club or the most intimate theater or an arena, regardless of what it is, that rapport has built over years. It lasts. It lasts. And you're making me realize something that I was, it was sort of um, an embryonic thought in my brain, which is that. Such a vocabulary. <laughs> Fuck. Jesus. She's, that's like her 10th one. The first two stumped me. I definitely didn't know what the first two meant. I just kept it going. But the, that, it's fucking amazing. Is it still legal to talk about embryos in this country anymore? Oh, my God. Um, but I do believe we are back to word of mouth. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can post all day long. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be in Tampa. I'm going to be in Pensacola. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here. Until you hear, I saw Kevin Hart last weekend. It was the funniest shit I have mm -hmm. seen. Whereas the more mm -hmm. billboards you see, the more you're like, why are you pushing me so hard to see this? Mm -hmm. But when a, someone you respect is like, oh, I saw Top Gun, it's hilarious. That's going to mm -hmm. carry more weight now than 500 billboards. That might, mm -hmm. the pendulum might swing back. I think it used to be, oh, look at all these ads and commercials. I should go watch that. But now there's so mm -hmm. much out there that we're back to word of mouth. So yeah, when you go to a city and you make them feel special, you give them the best night of their life, and then they become your publicist for the next two years, you come back again, and then you do an arena. I mean, this is not the situation. It's the best thing. The situation. You're yes. past that. But that is the best feeling in the world that someone would say to their five friends, Whitney's in town, let's all go see her. I saw her two years ago, and I know she's going to hit this out of the park. Like, that's the feeling that I want to build. Um, I love it. I love I love where your mind is. I love that, you know, that I asked you, like, hey, what do you want? And the first thing you went to is, like, you know, you're, you're talking about, honestly, the relationship. You're talking about the relationship. And after 17 years in the business, and you're still talking about, like, that love for the road, that love for the work, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And we get a punctuation after it, right? Like, special, no special. You got the choice. You make the choice as to how you want to um, put yourself or your material out there. Um, I was going to say, is there a time span on comedy for you is there a uh in button is there like i'm i think i'm gonna do this for another set set time or is this forever like are we gonna have a betty white situation you know where you're still you're still there you know joan rivers like you know i really do take my hat off to to those icons um of old i mean that's that's insane that's insane joan rivers. yes joan rivers yes this bitch this is, I collect Joan Rivers stuff from QVC. She has, this is a makeup for your legs. It's instead of wearing pantyhose, it's leg makeup. She was making leg makeup. I mean, this is probably blackface, frankly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to see what color that is. I'm not going to put it out. on. Jesus yeah. Christ, Whitney, what are you doing? <laughs> Wait, Wait, I didn't know. I never used it. Kevin, I never used it. I never used it. I never knew what would Kevin, I swear to God, I would never. Justin Trudeau borrowed it once. <laughs> she's, she is, she's an example though, but I'm saying like that, that to me, like, you know, if you go before the, the Cosby world of insane information came out and we were all flipped upside down, there was an old man that was performing on stage, sitting on a stool. That's correct. Motherfuckers were coming out, like, doing theaters, like, 
that our craft does not have to die. It doesn't. It all depends on the individual. So what's yours? What's your time limit? Because I just did uh, the special I just shot, which, by the way, um, inspired you. You take some credit for this inspiration that I I, I financed my own special and licensed it. it to Fuck Netflix. Yeah. Fuck so then yeah. I own it. I because now we don't know how people are going to consume it. We put all this effort into a special, and instead Fuck of me, yeah. Instead of me pouting and going, well, people are going to watch it on their phones. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to own it. So if yeah. you need to cut it up into one minute bits and watch it on TikTok over a year instead of one sitting for 60 minutes, that's totally fine. I'm going to be conscious of that when I'm performing. And I'm just I'm at the point in my life where I just want to ride the horse in the direction it's going. And instead of every time a new platform comes out, be like, well, that's not how comedy is supposed to be consumed. I'm like, you know what? Let's just lean in and embrace it. And that's what you do. I think. I more than anyone instead of going it. we're not going to break up our comedy on you're just like how do we break it up and make it consumable <laughs> to the next generation so if i don't own it i can't do all that you know so i paid for this last special um i got some really good advice from gary shandling wow. uh, before he passed away and we were backstage i think it was at like the friars club in la when that existed and i was right before i went on i was scrambling scrambling and you know when i first started comedy everyone thought i was a bitch that was kind of my reputation because i was always writing in my notebook like jokes before shows and later people were like oh we just thought you were a bitch it was like no i just was like i was always writing up until the last second i walked on stage you know so i was a little bit like aloof and um because i also always saw david tell doing that i remember seeing david tell who i thought was just the greatest scribbling in those Little nasty ass paper. Uh, it was just the most disgusting. You, know, you, like, even... you open it, you definitely like an STD in there. Dude. Oh yeah, that it was like a <laughs> that's what it was that monkeypox book. It was that's where it originated. He'd have it in a plastic bag. Yes. Shout out to David Tell. The Love best. You, man. But I remember one time before a set, he was he's scribbling in his notebook, and someone went. Dave, what are you doing? You know, because comics, there's that party culture, and then if you're really trying, people think you're the dork, and so he's like scribbling, and someone went, Dave, what are you doing? He went, it's called writing jokes. Ever heard of it? And I remember going, it's cool to write up mm. until the last minute, and then Burr does it backstage. Even now, he's pacing up and down the comedy store hallway, thinking of new stuff, you know. So I was like, keep doing this. I'm scribbling right before I go on stage, and I think Gary Shandling just sensed my desperation to just make it and and make people laugh and and get a lot out of this and he went just so you know in comedy you can never make it too late wow and as someone that was an overachiever very young it's not that but I remember just going, oh, my God, that's right. We're like, we're like wine. We're only that's so that's so good, smarter, wiser, better. Whereas Hollywood tells us as you get older, at least me, you're going to become less valuable. And it goes, no, but comedy, so much of about about it is being interesting. That's and so good. I think we forget in order for art to imitate life, you have to have a life. And so now a big part of my comedy is, quote unquote, is going out and having a life, making sure I like go out to dinner with my guy. We go to a museum because you're just getting stories. I mean, it's kind of sociopathic to be like, I only do these recreational things so I can get jokes out of it. Fine. But he made me understand, like, you're only going to get better. There's no rush. That's so strong. And it's one of those things that you don't follow. You don't follow because you just you just put such a great period on a conversation and when you say like you gotta live your life living your life is good like living your life is a priority and you know as a person who's definitely uh an example of putting the things first and before that as a late bloomer is now trying my best to do a better job of living my life of being more present in my life and with the people that i love around me in my life um i like that you that you have a path, right? And I like that. I like that. It's some shit in there, Whitney, and embrace it, you know. Like and, and embrace it to the fullest. And like you said, it it only it only makes you a better you to understand who the other you was. When you can look back at another version of you and go, yeah, but I love the changes that I've made. I feel so much better as this version of me. Like that's a good thing. And in comedy, I like that you can track it. Right, and you talking we, of we make mistakes in public. 
Yes. We grew up in public, you know? Yes. And so to me, there's nothing better than have chosen this path, which seems ostensibly a little bit masochistic, going to be able to go, oh, I now get to sublimate all the mistakes I made and the pain, and I get to use it for something good. I remember, I remember the first time I knew uh, I made the right decision, even though I was broke and I was, you know, had to set my alarm at one in the morning to go to a spot at the comedy store at two in the morning, and you know, no one thought I was gonna make it. Like everyone thought I was insane. And I remember the first time I got a car that was mine. I had done this like. Um, this uh, writing gig for Lexus. And I had actually gotten, first time I got paid some money. I was writing for comedians at the time only. And I was writing for Last Call with Carson Daly. I was like writing on, on late night shows and for comedians. And then I finally got enough money to lease a car. And I leased, the, it was a Lexus hybrid. Beautiful car, first car I've ever had. I didn't even have credit. Byron Allen fixed my credit, thank God. <laughs> so I was able <laughs> he, he gave me a phone number, put it on a little piece of paper, handed it to me and was like, call this guy, fix my credit. I will uh, forever indebted to Byron. And the first day I got it, I went to, you know, right on Holloway and La Cienega, down from the comedy store, there's mm -hmm. that gas station. And I pull in, I'd never had a hybrid car. And there was a, one of the nozzles that was the gas nozzle was green. You know, one of the nozzles is green. Yeah, I know it's green. I know it's like, about. Oh, that's the, in, that's the oh, no. green gas. That's the oh, no. one that's good for the environment. Oh, no. That's the, that's the green. It's green, and I'm oh, green. God. So I'm putting this gas in, because this is the one that's good for the environment. And the nozzle didn't fit in the gas tank. And mm -hmm. then I'm like, my car is so new and fancy. This gas station doesn't even have the new shit. <laughs> like, you don't even know. So I hovered it above and just let the gas, like, drip in, you know, like you guys need to update your gas tanks. So then I'm, and then I'm driving and nothing. So I had filled it with diesel fuel. Yes, you did. Within the first 45 minutes of owning. Yes, you did. And, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, I did. I absolutely did. Yes, you did. And I drive, and then it gets towed into the Lexus dealership. Everyone is like, the men are like, it like hurts their heart to see what I've done in this car. Yes. And I instantly started writing jokes about it. And I was like, this is, makes it all worth it, is the fact that as soon as something bad happens to you, you already know you can use it to brighten up someone else's day. There you go. That's the mindset of a comedian. And oh my God, what amazing minds they are. Guys, Whitney Cummings, not only have you been an amazing guest, damn it, you're an amazing comedian, uh, an amazing story. Can I say one more thing about you? Yes, please. And then I'm going to let you go because I know you have 900 other things and it's an honor. You're fine. To do this, I love you. I just want to say that when we did, you did that COVID show, that outdoor show, mm -hmm. right, for ABC. Mm -hmm. It was that special during the pandemic. I don't have to tell you. You saw a lot of comedians not know what to do in that environment. It was amazing to watch you. You know, we were outside. It was a taping. It was half capacity. That's you. Have, it was just really wonderful to watch you work in all that you do and see that muscle come out that's that's it is a hum, humbly thank you thank you well you earned you, it that's real deal shit that's real that's real deal gutter shit yes that's like yes <laughs> yes he's kevin hart but he can kill in this weird yes, ass this, this, this thing we were in a parking lot where we we she's referring to a special that we did for abc uh and this is like in the heart of the pandemic and um you know they were just trying to look for hey what can we do what can we put out what what how can we brighten up spirits and the idea came up to have comedians uh all do a set on this special and i think we had about four was it like four or five comedians we have four mm -hmm. or five comedians. Yeah, we were, the audience was masked, yes. distance. People were still freaked out. Yes. I don't even think the vaccine was out. No, this was, was, we're in the heart of it. We're, we're talking about the heart of it. I remember. I remember. And it was, uh, like you said, that's the that's the gutter. That's the that's the shit. But That's when you find out who you are as a comedian. <laughs> yes. A couple people didn't, found out things they didn't want to know yes. that night. Yes, but. absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy environment, but we made it work. Um, guys, Whitney Cummings, she has a new special. By the way, her fifth one. Let's not forget that, okay? This is not her first time. God damn it. At the rodeo, she's been doing this for quite some time. And when I say comics comic she is make sure you guys check it out july 26 
July 26th will premiere on Netflix, man. The name of the special, Whitney, is called Jokes. Why? Well, just because she feels like that's what people need to remember. That as comedians, we just tell jokes. Like she said, she's not running for president. There's not a political scam or campaign behind it. She just wants you to goddamn laugh. Women should not be president. I think everyone knows that. She just wants you to laugh. Whitney, I mean it when I say thank you. Um, This is one for the books. This is a doozy. Uh, I hope my listeners learned a lot about you because I damn sure did. Please don't stop being you. Please continue to embrace your passion. Please keep learning from what you do and tell people what you learned and what you did to get better because I myself love that information because I can find ways to use it in my life. I know other people will do the same. That's the benefit of opening up. God damn it, this is comedy gold mines. What do we do here, people? Kevin, you make me you make me proud to be a comedian. Fuck right. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. We love Fuck you. yeah. I love you Push guys. Thank you. I hope Push that was good. I'm gonna be in a show. What do you mean you hope it was good? It was fucking great. Great. It wasn't good. It was great. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Whitney. I'm serious. Thank you. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Even the charcoal mask, great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice, I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.